the danger for us is to think too small. Buy into other people's power rather than the power that we have. In every solitary one of us, there is a Martin Luther King. This is the Living Prophets podcast, and I'm your host, Martin Maxmeister. This week, I bring you a gem from 1983 from the website uh, Recovery Audio. It's a Catholic priest talking about his struggle with addiction, but you could replace every instance of alcohol and alcoholic with racist, and everything he says would make total sense. Here is Father Leo. When I first arrived in California, Long Beach, where I'm a priest, I had to go and say Mass at about seven o'clock in the morning. And an old lady had parked her car in front of my garage. And so I asked her to move it, which she did. It meant that by the time I got to the church, I was just a little late. And so I stood before the congregation, rather like I'm standing before you all now. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry for being late, but I had to knock up an old lady before I came to church. (laughs) The congregation responded just like yourselves. (laughs) Except I'm pleased to say there was an increase in old ladies at church the following Sunday. You're very special. You're very special because you epitomize what I'm trying to say this morning. That once you appreciate your spirituality, you become a very, very special, healing, powerful, and creative human being. I don't know whether you've noticed it, but I haven't used the word religion. Maybe because I know a lot about it. And it pays so badly. (laughs) But the thing about it is that if I buy into religion, I am made to think small. Unless I correct myself always by seeing that religion is the door to spirituality. You see, whatever it is, and I'm just being made aware of it because of some of my troubles, the world is a very big place. And there are alcoholics in Tangiers that I was speaking to two years ago who also have a spirituality within the Muslim religion. Let's not mistake anything here today. There are some people who are not Christian at the tables but who are terribly spiritual people. There are some tremendously great Jewish doctors who are here. There are some people who are perhaps going through their own understanding of where spirituality and faith is taking them. There are some who for a period of time are wanting to consider things and don't belong to any particular religion. And all I'm saying is spirituality has got to be bigger than any particular religious department or denomination. Otherwise we'll buy into, don't you see, the disease. The disease isn't drinking, this we know. 
The disease is the thing that somehow or other produces the need to escape. The disease always wanted us to think in terms of divisions and separateness because then it kept control. It wanted people to see themselves as different from clergymen to this day who are suffering from the disease of alcoholism are in denial because they think they're separate. You've heard from many of the doctors who have spoken the problems of a medical man who thinks that he is so special because he has MD after his name. He thinks that somehow or other that makes him beyond the touch of the disease of alcoholism. And there are others. It's all ego. It's all ego. It's all pride. It's the most ancient sin of all that's revealed in the Genesis story of Adam. When somehow or other man was not content to be as God created him to be, he wanted more. And in a sense God was always trying to say to him before he ate from that tree of knowledge, don't you know, if you could only see, you've got it all. You've got it all. There's nothing more you need. But Adam and Eve wanted that divinity with a capital D. And in doing that, they lost. It's called pride. It's called ego. They didn't think they had enough. And in a strange kind of a way, of course, that's what the disease does. The disease makes us think that we haven't got enough and that we need that special additive, whether it's a pill or whether it's a drink. You know, if we continue to think small, we will lose it. If we continue to think small, that's why I've made a special point and will continue to make a special point of getting you to see the tremendous distinction Although, of course, they can go together between religion and spirituality. Please don't go away saying, Oh, Father Leo says that you can't possibly be spiritual if you go to church. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that you can be spiritual if you don't. You can be spiritual and a creative and a very positive human being. If you're Jewish, or if you're thinking through things, or if you need a bit of space, or if you're going through your thoughts in your recovery, but you can still be that touch of greatness that God created. You know, there's a, a lovely story that I share with you, which reveals the craziness, the absolute craziness of our differences. It's a lovely story of a, uh, of a Roman Catholic priest sitting on a train with a Jewish rabbi. And they know each other, but every now and again they like to pull one another's legs, as people do. And what happens is the Irish Roman Catholic priest decides to have a little bit of a, a leg pull with the Jewish rabbi. And so what he says to him is, uh, Oh, rabbi, rabbi, would you like to come over sometime to the church? And I'll fix you dinner. I'll fix you some nice pork. The Jewish rabbi says to him, I'm terribly sorry, but he says, my religion won't allow me to have pork. So he says, what a shame. I'm sure you'd have enjoyed it. So they go on a little longer, 
And the Jewish rabbi thinks, he surely knew that, that priest. I'll get my own back. He says to uh, the priest, he says, oh priest, father. He says, I can't come to you for a meal, but why don't you come over to my house and bring your wife? <laughs> the Roman Catholic priest quickly says to him, he says, I'm terribly sorry, Rabbi, but in my religion, we can't have a wife. The Jewish rabbi looks at him and says, oh, much better than pork. And I suppose it is. <laughs> but you see the separateness, the craziness. Now what we've got to do, and in a way it happened, didn't it? Didn't it happen when one of the most given things that we all know in our heart of hearts happens? A drunk. A drunk who was staying off alcohol found that his sobriety was strengthened when he served somebody who was still suffering from the disease. The magic of Bill W. meeting Dr. Bob. That specialness that enabled one recovering alcoholic to be strengthened in a positive and creative way when he touched the line of somebody who was still suffering. You know, in a way, it's the more you give away, the more you get. If you want to be a winner, then you first of all got to know where you can't win. The more you give of love, the more you receive. It's a very strange way because some human beings all over the world have taught us this. You want integrity, then respect the integrity of others. You want to be respected, then respect others. You want to be loved, you really want to be loved, then begin to love. You know, as a priest in a hospital, I see an awful lot of people who claim their loneliness. But if only they could see that they've almost set themselves up for loneliness. If you set yourself up, you'll always lose. It costs nothing, nothing, to say, hello, how are you? It costs nothing to go over to a table where you don't know anybody and say, hi, I'm Leon, I'm an alcoholic. Some things cost nothing. And yet they're the best. How do I know this? Because I tried all the wrong ways to get what I wanted most. A little bit of my story, which I share in order to receive. The more I give of my story to you, the more I'll get from you. I was a person who was terribly lonely. Not lonely on the outside, lonely on the inside. I always felt different. I always felt that I needed something, something extra that would make me fit. And I discovered at the age of 16, 17 in a school how that could be achieved. Alcohol.
And you've heard it said by so many people, the one thing about alcohol is it works. And I found that if I was shy and I took a drink, I wasn't shy any longer. I can't dance, but my word, if I had a few drinks, I could dance all over anybody's table. I felt that I had not a decent idea. But you know, if I drank, I could share my opinions with everybody. In other words, alcohol, and it's true for other drugs too, but let's just talk about alcohol for me. Alcohol took me into a world that I wanted to go into because I didn't feel I was good enough without it. Now, when I was ordained, I found that most people like priests who drink. I used to go into a bar dressed like this and I'll tell you something, people notice you. <laughs> Who's that walking penguin over there? And I'd find that they'd send the drinks along and I'd drink them. Strange thing is you get popular. People like, that's the kind of priest I like. He vomits just like everyone else. I'd fall about, I'd do a crazy number, people, and you know, you know, because I know in Al-Anon, and I know they've been talking about this at so many meetings, the business of the coal. You know, families coal. Families keep you in a crazy way. They think they're loving you, but they're killing you in a crazy way. They protect you for the disease, and the disease eats you up. And I had a big family, a church, whole group of people. Protect Father Leo, don't let him get drunk, hold him together. If he does get drunk, don't tell anybody he's drunk. Tell him it's what happens when you pray. <laughs> and I discovered, I discovered then, how many people would buy into the fact that I needed an excuse, and they provided me excuses, they provided me protection. And I'm not saying that they were out to kill me, but I know if they'd had their way, they would have done. That with me anyway, alcoholism changed me. Years ago, years ago, they called alcohol the demon drink. The reason they called it the demon drink was in their unsophisticated way. They found that if you took a drink, the demon was released. It was released in your life. And instead of being the kind of human being that God created us to be, loving, creative, and positive, we became the opposite. Destructive, lying, cruel, violent, mentally unimaginative. All of these things happened to me. The insanity, I needn't tell you about, except for the fact that even when, you know, the writing's on the wall, even when the writing was on the wall, I still refused to see it. The writing on the wall came to me, incidentally, when I went after Christmas to a vacation holiday with other drunks. We all went away together to drink. That was my idea of a vacation, it was after Christmas. And I don't know whether you were exactly the same as me, but there was a side of me that always wanted to do a noble act within my drinking. Some heads are going, and you obviously know what I'm talking about. I decided that amongst this little drinking 
vacation, I would visit a 91-year-old lady and wish her a happy birthday. Now, I went to do it in a hangover. I, I was drinking till very late, till 3 o'clock in the morning. The next morning, I put my clericals on and I went to the convalescent home where the 91-year-old lady was. And I knocked on the door, and I'll tell you something about priests. If you knock on the door dressed like this, you can get in anywhere. And I mean anywhere. And I knocked on the door, and I said, I'm here to see Elizabeth. And they said, come in. It's early, Father. I said, never mind, I'll do it. And I got in, and there's Elizabeth. She's 91, it's her birthday. And I looked at her in her bed. I said, good morning, Elizabeth. Happy birthday. And she says, oh, it's Father Booth. Good morning. She says, it's too early to offer you a drink, isn't it? I said, try me, Elizabeth. Try me. <laughs> well, she tried me and I tried. And she offered me sherry. I don't like sherry, so I drank that bottle and got onto the gin because I love to drink it. <laughs> and that's very sensible for an alcoholic, what I've just said. Now, you know you get drunks. Every drunk has their own symptom of their behavior. Some drunks are violent. Some drunks sing. Some drunks get murdering and depressed. I was a dancing drunk. <laughs> and there was enough about me to know that this 91-year-old lady wasn't going to be able to dance with anybody. But I heard in the distance of the convalescent home a vacuum, please. We say in England, a hoover. And I thought, where there is hoover, there is woman. <laughs> this is seven o'clock in the morning, ladies and gentlemen. And I go dashing off after this woman. And she, poor soul, she just started the day. Just another day for her. The husband's gone to work. The children have gone to school. God's been so good to her. She doesn't know there's a black blob descending on her. <laughs> All of a sudden I appear and I look at her eyeball to eyeball and I say, Dance with me! And she says, No! I said, Dance with me! She said, No! I said, Dance with me! She said, No! So I squeezed her breath. No, 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 not harshly, gently. <laughs> the, the lady here with tears in her eyes. No, no. <laughs> well, you won't believe this, but she said, don't do that. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Now, I don't know what kind of an alcoholic you are, but if somebody said to me, don't do that, I did it again. In fact, I was getting quite good at it. <laughs> anyway, to put a long story short, they called for the police. And I was arrested. Now, although you may not have done that, although most of you probably did, but were <laughs> fortunate not to get arrested, it took me into a part of my disease that I never forget. In the, in the jail, 
some of you will know, they take off your ring and they take off your watch and they take off your collar and they take off your belt and they take off your shoelaces. They take off a whole lot of things. And I was just left. Frightened, lonely, and very afraid. I mean very afraid. The disease always left me afraid. The disease always left me frightened. The disease always left me as if, if this is life, I don't want to live. Although we can do our craziness and although we can tell our jokes and we can do all of that, please don't miss that. It's worse than any of the sickness, it's worse than any of the vomiting, it's that not knowing. You see, I never knew when. I never knew when it was going to all happen for me. That's the problem when you're like the drinker like I was. Not every day! Didn't drink every day. But you know, when I did drink, I never knew when I was going to feel like this or do something crazy like this. And I sat in that jail and all that fear and all that loneliness came. I went before the court and the judge and the judge actually saw it as a bit of humour and threw the whole case out. But the press were there, you know the press? Americans know a lot about the press. The press were there. And you've heard of Jack the Ripper. Well you meet Leo the Squeeze. <laughs> My mother read about it. She said, I always wanted to see your name in print, son. But never quite like this. And the bishop telephoned me. He said, whatever made you do that? Only bishops say things like that. <laughs> Was she an Episcopalian? <laughs> anyway. I lost my job, lost my job, lost my house, didn't lose my friendship with him, incidentally he was with us at uh, the World Conference in London, but I lost, and I only say that because perhaps you've got to lose before you gain, I lost, but you know I still didn't see, now isn't that crazy, I still did not see, I'd lost my job, I'd lost my parish, I'd lost my church, I mean, that was just one of many crazinesses. And I still didn't see. My eyes were still not open. I embarked for another nine months or more on dryness. And dryness is not the same as sobriety. Dryness is not the same as sobriety. You know, dryness, dryness is when you don't drink because of all of them. I didn't drink now. Not because I'd accepted my alcoholism, but because of the bishop. The bishop had told me, if you drink again, if you drink again, you're out. I said, okay. I can do it. My mother said, please, son, don't drink again. All right, mother. I can do it. The parishioners said, we like you so much as a priest, don't, don't drink again. Okay. For all of you out there. I'll do it. But not because I'm an alcoholic. So for six months, and I'll tell you something, it's a horrible six months, because when you're doing something that you don't want to do, that's pain. 
And it's not only pain, it's terribly boring. Dry people are very boring. Because they're not doing what they want to do. They're only doing things to please others. And I'll tell you something, dryness then in a crazy kind of a way becomes a symptom of the disease. Because the disease is about people pleasing others. Rather than doing something for yourself that's going to go out. So for nine months, and I only share this with you because it's part of my recovery. For nine months I embarked on all of this of not drinking for other people. And one day, a crazy kind of a way, one day, the telephone went and I was invited to a 21st. The lady said, come to the 21st, and I said, because you know I haven't drunk for nine months, I said, I hope they're not going to have sinful liquor there. <laughs> they said, well, there will be some, but you can have a 7-Up. Thank you very much, I said. So I went to this 21st, thoroughly enjoying myself. You know the way we do with our little glass of 7-Up? Thoroughly enjoying the whole party. <laughs> and a lady came over to me and she said, Father Leo, I'm so glad that you're looking so well with not drinking. I said, Thank you! I feel very well. <laughs> and then a lady came. A lady came to me. It was a small lady. Little lady. She looked at me straight in the eyes and she said, Father Leo, I knew you when you were drinking. And I know you now. And now you are so boring. <laughs> boring? Me? Boring? Then I got to think about it. I was boring. You are boring. You think about it. If you're not happy, if you're not happy doing, being, living, with who you've got to live with and mainly with yourself. You are for Terribly painful. And then she followed up with something. She said, why don't you just have one? Well, I'll tell you something. I had two. Cunning, baffling and powerful. I had two and went home. But I left my watch in the restroom. And the next day, I called up George the barman. I said, George, hello, he said, I've said it's Father Leo here, he said, hello. I said, George, have you got my watch? He said, yes. Found it in the restroom. I said, George, I had two alcoholic drinks last night and I'm not supposed to have any. He says, Father Leo, you were terrific. You were wonderful. I said, George, they say I'm an alcoholic. He says, how can you be an alcoholic if you only had two? I said, I know, George. I know I'm not an alcoholic, but they say I'm an alcoholic. George, are you sure that I'm not an alcoholic? George said, if you're an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. And he is. <laughs> so I go back and I get my watch and there's George and George says, have one for the road. Have one for the road. You know, I took that drink and I drank it. And it was different from the night before. Same bar, same barman. Same bottle, perhaps. Cunning, baffling and powerful. I got 
Last night, two. This morning, twenty-two. Would not be enough. I was on a roll. My luck. My luck. Fourth of July is my sober day. Third of July, I was drunk. I never made it home, ladies and gentlemen. I never made it home. My car was driving along and I hit three o'clock in the afternoon, pavement stone, summer's day in England, and my car shot through the air after that drinking bout. There were two old ladies in the garden, one turned to the other and said, look, there goes Father Leo again. <laughs> That's the way he travels nowadays. Do you know though, this is spirituality. I got out of that car and I saw me. I saw me, I've not had a drink since, and it's seven years, and I saw me in a way that I'd never seen me before, and that's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift when you see the writing on the wall and you see it and you know it's you, that's a gift, but I believe it's a gift that's been given to us all if we want to see it, we want to take it up. God's not a favourite. God didn't give me something that the drinking alcoholics of this day can't see if you want. God doesn't love me more than anybody else. He loves me because I'm part of his world just like he loves you. But I didn't love me. And I didn't see. And I saw. And I don't know, all of you are connected probably with treatment centres, all of you are connected with somehow or other with recovery and dealing with alcohol and drugs, but the crunch, I don't care whether you're sponsored or whoever it is, unless you can get the person in some way or other to see themselves and to see their disease and to accept that being an alcoholic is part of the description of Leo, me. I'm five foot seven, blue green eyes. My mother's called Maud, and I'm alcoholic. It isn't a qualitative statement, I'm not good or bad because of that. That's me. That's me. And it's terrific. It's wonderful, if you know it. But it's absolutely essential for me to know. I need to know what I've got. And I'll tell you something, you hear words like surrender. Terribly important word. How can you surrender unless you know what you have? And I'll tell you something about surrender. In all the history of the world, nobody, nobody has ever surrendered to die. People surrender to live. And the reason why I chose to surrender to the reality of my disease was because I wanted to live. And I mean live. I mean creatively, joyously, positively live. I don't want to exist. A day comes and I'll live it. Enjoy what comes in that day. Be grateful for that day. Be grateful for the gift of life and more than anything else. Be grateful for the gift of sobriety that enables me to live. How else can this program function unless those of us who are in it live joyously, openly, spiritually, spiritually? Martin Luther King had a dream. I have a dream, he said. 
all people, not just black people, so that all people can live together in harmony. That's spirituality. Do you think it makes any difference at all what particular religion he was? That kind of man, if he'd have been born in India, would have been Mahatma Gandhi, who incidentally is taking stall in England at the present time in Europe with the film, and most people don't even know what religion he was. But you know what they remember? They remember him making a statement. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. If there is any prejudice, if there is any division, if there is any separateness, we buy into the disease of addiction. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is touching the lives of gamblers, narcotic users, overeaters, emotionally upset people. It'll touch the world because it's a program of life. God touching the tip of his creation and saying, this, I don't create you to die. I create you to live. And you know, you hear a lot of people who are forever saying in themselves negative things, but they don't see it. How many people do you hear say, God did some wonderful things in my life today, and I did some bad things. When are they going to tie up the fact that they too can do some good things? Isn't it part of our fabric as human beings to see that God works through his creation? If you're a doctor, hold your head high because you're a healer. If you're a nurse or a counsellor, hold your head high. You're a healer. If you're a wife or a husband, hold your head high because you heal in your heart. Or you can. There isn't anything. There isn't one group of people, one type of person. There isn't one person who's sitting at any of these tables here who cannot be that healer. But first of all, he's got to know his own need of being healed. Somebody says, it's in our vulnerability that there is our strength. Our greatness is in the fact that we're willing to share. It's the failings of human beings that unite us. Not just our achievements. Although the achievements will inevitably follow the danger for us. And it's a, it doesn't matter how many years we have of recovery. The danger for us is to build instead of bridges, walls of division. The danger for us is to think too small, buy into other people's power rather than the power that we have. In every solitary one of us, there is a Martin Luther King. In every solitary one of us, there is a Gandhi. That's why those men have touched our lives. And I don't care who we are. We pretend to be this, that and the other. But when we're watching the TV, and when I was watching it, I went to see it with Max Wiseman, Gandhi. We both have tears in our eyes. 
But so did the other people in the theatre because he was so good. He was so good. And when a goodness like that is shot, there's something in all of us that dies. You know, it seems absolutely crazy because people have talked to me and they said to me, what about this phenomena of E.T.? E.T. is really all about you and me. Oh, if we could only see it more. E.T. is about going home. That film is about call home, go home. Why does E.T. need to go home? E.T. needs to go home to live. It's not a big philosophical question. E.T. would die if he stayed here. So E.T. needs to go home. Go home. Because E.T. needs to live. Where's home? Home's where you can live. Home's where you can be. Home's where you feel your creativity and divinity. That's home. Anything else is not home. It's exile. Do you want to know about exile? You listen to us. We know what it was like not to be home. And I don't know because I don't know all of you here. But I bet you bottom dollar, bet you bottom dollar, that everybody here who saw E.T. cry or felt. And when that thing light started going and you thought, oh, oh E.T. is alive, something in you was born again. And it's okay to feel it now. And it's okay to experience it now. Big men, old men who'd been through war, sat through that with tears. Because it wasn't about a plastic eating. It was about our lives. Plato, a long time ago, wrote in the book Republic, the most important three questions of human beings is, Who am I? What am I? And where am I going? In some miraculous way, Alcoholics Anonymous has answered that and has touched the lives of every one of us here. Oh my, I am an alcoholic. What am I? A gifted human being created by God to heal. Where am I going? Home to me. And if I get home to me, ladies and gentlemen, I found God. You can bring your own pain into your world and you can bring your own success into your world. And it's yours. God has given us so much.